0: Mezzo-soprano Catherine Goldner is backstage at Lyric.
1: I think, for me, the elements that are most important with Carmen are that she is free, la liberté, as she sings at the end of the second act, and that she recognizes she when she owes someone a debt. And there is, of course, also the element of fate, not necessarily death the entire time, but she is a gypsy and she absolutely does believe... What is read in the cards? How that is interpreted, she's not quite sure, but she knows it's not going to end well.
0: Thank you for downloading this episode of Backstage at Lyric. I'm Roger Pines of Lyric Opera of Chicago. Catherine Goldner is one of America's most successful mezzo sopranos internationally. She made a powerful impression in her lyric debut last season as Suzuki in Madame a Butterfly. She's returning this season for Carmen, in which she's starring in the title role for the first six performances. And then she'll be back with us as Pity Singh in the new production of The Mikado. Catherine has starred as Carmen at the New York City Opera and in an enormous variety of other roles at the Metropolitan Opera and the major houses of Salzburg, Toulouse, Lyon, Seville, and many others. I recently spoke with her about the challenges of singing and acting the iconic role of Carmen, Before we get to that conversation, here's the story of the opera. In Seville, an army corporal, Don José, is ordered to escort the gypsy, Carmen, to prison after she attacks another girl. José, however, falls instantly in love with Carmen, lets her escape and is himself sent to prison. Following his release, he visits Carmen at a tavern where she's just met the bullfighter Escamillo. After dueling with a superior officer, Don José is forced to desert the army. He joins Carmen and her smuggler friends in the mountains, where she quickly tires of him. Once Don José's hometown sweetheart, Micaela arrives to bring him home to his dying mother, Carmen is free to accept the attentions of Escamillo, Don José later comes to the bullring in Seville, where Escamillo is appearing in a bullfight. Outside the arena, Carmen is confronted by Don José, who pleads with her and finally, overcome by jealousy, stabs her, just as the crowd inside proclaims Escamillo's victory. Now, on to the interview with mezzo-soprano Catherine Goldner. I hope you enjoy it. I'm here with Katherine Goldner, who will be singing the title role of Carmen for our first six performances of the season, and I'm very excited because Carmen is an opera that our public so adores, and so it's wonderful that you have a chance to sing for this public who is so, so appreciative of this piece. Thank you. What do you remember of your lyric debut, which was last season in Madame Butterfly?
1: Oh, I remember being nervous (laughs) and having the wonderful Pat Reset and Frank Lopardo to work with. But um, it was just an amazing experience coming out and singing in this gorgeous hall and that wonderful music of Puccini.
0: What are the qualities of this iconic role of Carmen that really mean the most to you and that you have the most fun with on the stage?
1: Well, I think it's good that you mentioned the fun because I think what sets my Carmen apart from probably most Carmens you've seen is that the fun element. She does enjoy life. And I, I always repeat that She has a joie de vivre. And she is – she's not all doom and gloom and always just about um, – death and fate, she comes out in the Javignera, she's having a great time telling the story. She enjoys being adored, what girl doesn't, of course. Um, I think, for me, the elements that are most important with Carmen are that she is free, la liberté, as she sings at the end of the second act, and that she recognizes she, when she owes someone a debt. I think part of the reason she gets together with José is he did go to jail for her, she does owe him something, Okay, she's going to pay up. And there is, of course, also the element of fate. Not necessarily death the entire time, but she is a gypsy, and she absolutely does believe what is read in the cards. How that is interpreted, she's not quite sure, but she knows it's not going to end well.
0: Now, I have seen a lot of carmens that are very rough and tough all the time. And how do you make her likable because she really needs to be.
1: Absolutely. There are journeys that Carmen goes through when she's not singing. The trick is absolutely listening to what is being said to her, listening to the, the flower aria that Jose sings. And you have to be able to see in her, her reactions and that, yes, she does love him, but he's maybe not the man she hopes or thinks he is. Also in the fourth act, it can't be, for me, I don't think it can be all death from the get-go, because that's just boring. Carmen has to go on a journey. The audience has to come along. And you have to see that she's now with Escamillo. She's going to stay, in her mind, with Escamillo. And yet, when José shows up, she does feel that pity for a past lover. You know, all the emotions that went along with having had a relationship, but that relationship is over. Oh, I loved you. I don't love you anymore. Can't you get over it?
0: (laughs) You told me uh, when we first talked about Carmen that the scenes that you go for the most are these big confrontations.
1: Absolutely. (laughs) That's a good way to get your frustrations out of the day, (laughs) being thrown around the stage.
0: Before he sings the flower song and then the big duet in act four, what draws you to those scenes above all?
1: I think it's the violent emotion and the extent of the emotions that she runs the gamut from, as I say, being fairly light-hearted in the habanera to these sudden changes when she's disappointed in him, when she's not getting her way, when she decides, I'm not going to waste my time with you anymore. There is no slow emotional change in her. She's fiery, and it's from one minute to the next that she switches her mind.
0: Some people have said to me that this role doesn't really demand that much from them vocally, but I think it's really demanding. <laughs> What's your opinion?
1: Well, it is physically exhausting, at least the way I do um, There's a lot of energy that you are channeling the entire show because of these emotional outbursts. Vocally, the three arias are actually, you know, the habanera, the segadilla, the card aria are not actually that difficult, um, except maybe you know the third act of the cardir is probably the most difficult of the three. The other two are all piano. It was written for opera Comique. It's all quiet. The third act does call for a lot more legato, a lot more sound. It's also her one true, honest moment when she's talking for herself. she's not talking to an audience. Um, Carmen does have i mean the role. There's a lot of middle voice, and that's probably, you know, the most demanding. Once you have your middle voice worked out, you can take on Carmen. If you don't, you want to stay away from it for a while.
0: It's funny that a number of sopranos have been successful in this role, given that that fact.
1: But they also, there are alternative lines where they can take things up. Instead of down, which helps them out.
0: You are one of those Carmen's, I take it, that likes all of the physicality that's part of Absolutely. the role.
1: Absolutely, yes.
0: How physical does it get in this particular production?
1: As physical as I can convince them to let me make it, I am, you know, thrown around the stage quite a bit. I um, I don't get to kick chairs in this production. I like to kick chairs, <laughs> but um, there's there's a significant amount of action.
0: You have these big dresses, at least in Act 2 and Act 4, the red number in Act 2, and then the huge train that you have to work with in Act 4. How do you get around that? How do you do the movement that you need to do and still wear those clothes? you
1: must have the dresses for rehearsal, for the final rehearsals, especially that fourth act gorgeous gown with the mantilla. And not just for me, but for the Don Jose, because you've got to watch that you – Move around the dress in a certain way. You've got to get under the mantilla and not over the mantillas. Otherwise, it pulls the wig off, and no one wants to see Carmen in her pin curls on the stage. And uh, it takes some. The the skirt is weighted enough that you do the little operetta diva kick and get it out of your way.
0: (laughs) What sort of dancing have you been asked to do in the role like in the, the gypsy song in act 2 because that has to be an element also and oh, of course then you dance you dance with Don Jose for Don Jose absolutely. later Absolutely those
1: are the two big choreograph numbers and we have a wonderful choreographer here August High who has been working with all of us I also found um, if I can say this a the Flamenco Arts Center in Chicago and I found a wonderful teacher there, Kathy Best, who has been working with me on my own time, to just brush up the castanets and some add some make sure I've got some real flamenco moves. There's a certain way you hold yourself. There's a certain way you hold your skirt. Um, there's a certain steps that you want to work in. So it's I've had in addition to the regular staging, I've had some extra. Dancing on my own time. And
0: I saw a review of yours. I think that said something like she plays a mean, a mean castanet. castanet. Yeah. Yes. So how for your first Carmen is that when you is that when you learned how to play the castanet?
1: Well, yeah. The very first one I did was a concert version in New Jersey, and one of the percussionists showed me, you know, kind of the cheating way to play them. And the, then when I took on the role at City Opera, and um, again last year I was in Spain and I found a. I try to find a flamenco castanet teacher wherever I am. To uh, The one in, in Spain and the one here in Chicago have really helped me with, there's exercises, there's a left and a right, which people don't really realize. Uh, there's a certain way that you hold them, and, and there are exercises, just like with piano, to do every day, and I'm in that practice room every day before rehearsal working on the movements and the, the making sure those castanets are warmed up.
0: So you can play the castanets in a big theater like ours and they'll actually be heard?
1: I hope so. <laughs> yes, they should be.
0: Wow. Now you're coming back to us in December for a very different <laughs> role. You're gonna be you're gonna be am um, in, in the Mikado. Now um, have you done Gilbert and Sullivan before?
1: I never have. This wow. is, this is my first time and I am discovering what, what you, fun she is!
0: What are you looking forward to with her?
1: Uh, well, mostly I'm looking forward to working with Stephanie Blythe and James Morris, to tell you the truth. And Stephanie Blythe as Cowdy Shaw, I just think is going to be fantastic. Pity Singh, I think she is probably the um, sassiest, I would say, of the three. And
0: um, of the three little maids from the school. the three little
1: maids from school, so I think um, she is going to be a lot of fun to play. Yeah. Yeah. attitude. <laughs> <laughs>
0: And she also is involved in so much of the music. Vitty
1: Singh has a lot to sing. Um, probably, I mean, she, it's one of the bigger roles. It doesn't seem like it when you first look at it, but I'm singing all the time and lots of dialogue. So.
0: Have you done much, spo- you probably have done the spoken dialogue version of Carmen.
1: Yes, I've all, up until the end of July, actually, I did a, I jumped in, in the United Kingdom at Dorset Opera, and there I had to do the recits, which was a nice prep for Chicago as well. I'm glad I did the dialogue first because I've been able to use that experience in doing the recits and try to bring some of that same character that you have in a pure dialogue into the recits.
0: And just try to be as conversational as possible.
1: Exactly. And one example, if I can give one, is when José enters Le Las Pastias' place in the second act, and her line... When she says dialogue is, enfin, c'est toi. So you can translate it as, finally, you're here. And the music, it sounds like, finally, you're here. Enfin, c'est toi. Which I I don't think she's that eager. I think the line is, so, you actually showed up. I really didn't think you would.
0: And the music doesn't really do that at all. But
1: but I can, I can make it sound, I Interesting. hope. To, to make it sound that way.
0: Now... You have sung in all sorts of different European houses all over Europe and do you have a favorite audience in in any of the European houses where you feel people are just particularly responsive and always interested
1: Well in general, I don't find the European audiences as responsive as American audiences, honestly. In Spain, I would say they are the most responsive, but they're a little more restrained. I'm not quite sure why. American audiences, I think, because we as a people are more open, you just you get a lot of love back from the hall, which is a fantastic thing and feeds the performance.
0: Now, the role that I think you've done the most in all of those houses is probably the composer in Arya True. Eight productions?
1: Uh, yeah, seven. It's coming up uh, neck and neck with Carmen now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Do you consider it a favorite?
1: Yes, absolutely. The composer is, uh, like Carmen, a very, I guess I could say hysterical character. Obviously, he's a young man, not a young boy, not as young as Octavian. He's in his mid-20s, I would say, and kind of flying off the handle all the time, which makes him a joy to play. And then you've got that glorious Sein wir wieder gut aria at the end of the prologue.
0: You actually live in one, uh, probably maybe the most musical city in the entire world. You live in Salzburg, Austria. I do. You're Very fortunate. What's it like for a singer living in that particular city?
1: Well there's um honestly there's a lot more chamber music and orchestral music than there is vocal music except during the Salzburg Festival of course and the Easter Festival um, and then we've got amazing pe- artists that come through and and also come through and do master classes with young singers both at the at the um, Summer Academy and at the Young Artists uh, Young Singers project with the festival I mean we've seen When I first got there, I was in Pavarotti, uh, Kirita Kanawa, I saw Macbeth with Cappuccini and um, Gaina Dimitrova. I mean, just amazing artists.
0: Now, you live in Salzburg, but you are from southeast Iowa. (laughs) I am
1: from Sigourney, Iowa.
0: (laughs) How often do you get back there to sing?
1: I try to get back to Iowa as often as possible. I have a a close relationship with Cedar Rapids Opera Theater, which is um, more or less the closest opera company to where i grew up and i do believe very strongly in reaching out to the the small the farm communities and uh, the people that may not be able to drive 6 hours to chicago to the lyric opera and i think it's very important that we support all these Smaller companies out there that are doing fantastic work, so when Cedar Rapids asked me to do a production, I am if I can fit it in my schedule in any way, I am more than happy to. They work just with them. gave
0: you a new role, I believe. Didn't you do in Salome? I the first just,
1: time? yes, I just did my first Herodias in Salome with Cedar Rapids, and it was actually a TV production. I will public television broadcasted.:
0: So would you want to go back and continue to try out new roles there? I mean would that Oh be yes.
1: A- Absolutely.
0: Fantastic. Now, we cannot finish any conversation with you without (laughs) talking about your trio.
1: My trio, yes. Uh, I have uh, the Prairie Song Project, which is flute, piano, and myself, Amy Morris, flute. Michael Heaston is the pianist. And we commissioned a couple pieces for voice, for mezzo, for flute, and for piano, which we have been uh, performing in Europe and across the country. And uh, the emphasis, obviously, from our name, the Prairie Song Project, we are trying to promote Midwest musicians, librettists, um, artists, composers, and trying to make people aware in the rest of the country and in Europe of the talent that is available in the Midwest that maybe doesn't get the exposure that, say, a New York composer might get.
0: Was this your baby from the start? Did you create this idea?
1: Amy's and mine. Yes. Because we were looking, we wanted to put together a recital for flute and mezzo and found out there was not much material. So we said, alright, let's have it commissioned. And we have one composer is from Iowa, Peter Ashe, who just composed The Golden Ticket that was premiered in St. Louis' this summer. And he has used a text by Willa Cather. Nebraska poetess, along with Shakespeare. The other is uh, actually a Scottish composer. That has to do with grant money. Rory Boyle, fantastic. And he has set five songs by um, poet laureate Ted Kuzer, who's also from Iowa and Nebraska.
0: That's terrific. Mm -hmm. So do you have dreams for The project and what it can accomplish?
1: Um, The next step is to get this onto CD. That's what we're trying to set up. It's difficult with schedule and grant money and everything.
0: Well, I wish you all the best with that. And of course, with all of your Carmen performances here at Lyric and your Mikado performances as well. Oh,
1: yes, I'll be back.
0: You've been listening to Backstage at Lyric, the podcast that takes you behind the curtain at Lyric Opera of Chicago. For additional interactive content and to order tickets, visit us online at lyricopera.org.